This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. Dear radio listeners, God revealed His law to Israel in Exodus 20 and again in Deuteronomy 5. By law, I refer especially to the Ten Commandments. How well do you know those commandments? And do you think they are relevant to your life today? Are they for Jews only? Or must Christians also keep them? In the conviction that they are binding on God's people everywhere and at all times, we begin a study today of the Ten Commandments. The more to see their relevance, we will see how Jesus understood them while he was on earth. In other words, our starting point will be the gospel accounts, not the Old Testament books of Exodus and Deuteronomy. Taking the gospel accounts as our starting point allows us to do several things. First, it allows us to see that Jesus viewed these laws as relevant in his day. If we are going to be like Jesus, we will have to view them as relevant in ours. Second, it helps us see that Jesus understood the real meaning of these Ten Commandments even better than some of the Jews in his day. The Pharisees had their interpretation of the Ten Commandments, an interpretation that allowed them to sin against the Ten Commandments in obvious ways, yet think that they were more righteous than the tax collectors and the prostitutes of their day. When speaking to and about the Pharisees, Jesus often came back to his understanding of the Ten Commandments that they governed the heart and mind, the thoughts and motives, the secret places of man. Third, by taking the gospel accounts as our starting point, we are, as it were, sitting at the feet of Jesus himself as our teacher. In fact, I compare what we will do in the next several weeks to a student sitting at the feet of the greatest teacher in a certain subject, soaking in whatever that teacher teaches. We are going to school. The subject matter is the law of God, and the teacher is Jesus Christ himself. And the student is the citizen of the kingdom of heaven, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ, eager to live as a child of God and a citizen of God's kingdom. In this first lesson, then, we will take an overview look at the law and see that the Ten Commandments are relevant for the lives of God's people everywhere and always. Our starting point is Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. In the King James Version, these verses read, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, 
the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is the law of God? Broadly speaking, God's law includes each and every precept that he spoke to Israel through Moses. God's law in the Old Testament had three parts. First, it included ceremonial laws regarding sacrifices, feasts, and other aspects of worship. Second, it included the civil laws regarding how the Israelites were to live as a nation. This included building codes for their houses and judicial punishments that would come on them for various sins. And third, it included the moral law that is the Ten Commandments themselves. The ceremonial laws and civil laws were really further applications of the moral law. The Ten Commandments are divided into two tables, love God and love your neighbor. The ceremonial laws regarding how to worship God were really applications of the first table, and the civil laws regarding national life were applications of the second table. This is important to recognize, for Christians today all understand that the ceremonial laws and civil laws are no longer to be kept in the letter. We can read about them and study them to learn gospel truths and to learn principles about the Christian life, but Jesus has fulfilled them. For this reason, some suggest that the Ten Commandments are also null and void and need not be kept. By understanding these ceremonial and civil laws to be applications of the Ten Commandments, we more readily see that Jesus removed the outer layers of the law, but insists on our keeping the heart of the law. As mentioned, the form of the moral law is Ten Commands written on two tables of the law. The first lesson we learn from this is that we have two primary relationships in life. Our relationship with God, who is greater than us, a vertical relationship, and our relationship with other humans who are like us, a horizontal relationship. There is not a third table regarding how we treat rocks, trees, animals, and pets. Implied in the first table of the law and the eighth commandment that prohibits stealing are principles regarding how we treat God's creation. Nor is there a third table that regards how we treat ourselves. Implied in the second table of the law, particularly the sixth commandment that prohibits murder, is the calling to love ourselves, not selfishly and egotistically, but as a creature and child of God. So the form of the law teaches us that we have two primary relationships in life, our relationship with God and our relationship with other humans. A second lesson that we learn is that our relationship with God is primary. It governs all other relationships. For the table that treats how to love God is the first table of the law. And the second table of the law, regarding love for other humans, follows from and flows out of the first. The first and second tables are related this way. Not that we first love God, 
And then after we have loved God, we turn around and love our neighbor. But rather, that we see that our love for God must be primary and encompasses all our life. And when we do that, we will love our neighbor. Loving the neighbor is loving God. A third lesson to learn from the form of the moral law consisting of Ten Commands is that God's law governs every area of our life. The number ten suggests this. It is the number of completeness. God's law is complete. God did not give nine commandments, nor eleven. Had he given nine or eleven, the impression would be given that God's law governs some, but not all of our life, or that it governs an arbitrary number of things. But God's law is complete. It governs our whole life. In every circumstance or situation that arises, God's law applies. It applies to outward actions, prohibiting murder, adultery, and theft. It applies to our words, requiring us to speak reverently of God and honor those in authority over us and not to lie. And it speaks to our heart, forbidding us to covet. Having taken lessons from the form of the law, let us turn now to its content, love. Scripture teaches clearly that to love is the heart of the law. Consider the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In these verses, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 and Leviticus 19 verse 18, showing that even in the Old Testament, the heart of the law was the command to love. Again, listen to what Jesus said in John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Love is a new commandment, not in that it had never before been a commandment, but that Jesus was making plainer than ever that it was the heart of the law. To love is to live in a relationship with another in which we seek another's well-being. To love God is to promote his glory and praiseworthiness in all things. To love our neighbor is to desire his bodily and spiritual good, to be ready to sacrifice or suffer for her, to be patient and kind to them in all things. To love is not to do these things because they are in our self-interest, but to do these things because we truly desire others. What a different conception of love and of what God's law requires than the Pharisees had. Their view of law-keeping was not that of having friendship with God, but having a place in God's kingdom on the basis of their own obedience and righteousness. What a different conception of love and of what God's law requires than the extensive law of Moses suggested. The Mosaic law was law upon law, regulating all the details of life, 
in war and peace, at work and rest, regarding marriage, clothing, food, houses, what to bring to the temple and when. It seemed like a code, but Jesus suggested it was about love. And what a different conception of love and of what God's law requires than you or I might have. God's law might seem to interfere with our own pleasures and delights and might seem to be a nuisance, but it isn't. God's law is the rule for showing love and in that way enjoying the salvation that God has provided us in Jesus Christ. So the law is relevant. That is, it still governs the lives of God's children today and still prescribes the kind of life that must characterize citizens of God's kingdom today. Especially against the idea of some who say that Christ has finished the law, that it was only for the Old Testament, let us see that it is relevant for us today. Jesus impresses on us the relevance of this law in Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18. He himself says that he came to fulfill the law. By this he means that he came to fill up the law, that is, to obey the law. He came to obey the law perfectly and to teach us that the law requires love. He came to obey the law on behalf of sinners, humans who could not keep the law and who deserve to experience God's wrath. Having kept the law perfectly, even to the point of loving us by dying on the cross for us, Jesus could present himself and his righteousness before God on our behalf and earn for us a place in God's kingdom. In fulfilling the law, Jesus did not abolish it. He did not render it irrelevant for us. He makes this clear. He did not come to destroy the law. Rather, in the rest of the Sermon on the Kingdom, he emphasizes how relevant the law is even more so now than the Jews may have thought in Jesus' day. The law is permanent. It was written in tables of stone, unchanging and indestructible. Jesus emphasizes this in verse 18. Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot and one tittle will by no means pass from the law. The words jot and tittle refer to the Hebrew alphabet. The smallest letter was a yot, similar to our letter I. The word tittle refers to a stroke or a mark. Think of the fact that we make a D with a circle and then a mark extending upward or a P with a mark extending downward. A tittle refers to a part of a letter, not a single letter I, and not a single part of a letter will be destroyed from the law as long as the earth remains. That's what Jesus is teaching. The law is relevant for us yet today. It is in force. In one other gospel passage, the relevance of the law of God is driven home. The Apostle John wrote in John 1 verse 17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. 
Here the Holy Spirit appears to present a contrast between the law and grace, but that is not the full meaning. Nor will I exhaust the full meaning of the verse with what I say. But part of the point of the passage is that the law as an outward code could not save. There is no grace earned by the keeping of the law. We need Christ. He gives grace. But for what purpose does he give grace? For the purpose of keeping the law. For by keeping the law we do not earn grace, but by keeping the law we show gratitude for salvation. This lesson about the law's relevance we must take to heart. It is easy for us to think at times that the law of God is beside the point, that it does not speak to the situation we are in. Perhaps I am poor and I need food, but the law of God prohibits me from stealing. Perhaps I am oppressed, but the law of God prohibits me from killing my oppressor. Or perhaps disobeying the law will bring me earthly pleasures now. If we view Sunday, for instance, as a day to do what we want rather than a day of rest, or if we view the seventh commandment as meaning only that when married we should be faithful to our spouse, but until married we may engage in sex freely, we are suggesting then that the law does not bind us. In addition, we are prone to pick and choose which commandment we want to govern us in which situation. We then set ourselves forward as keeping the law in an exemplary way while we are violating it in an equally obvious way. Perhaps we speak ill of our authorities or parents, but insist we are telling the truth. Or perhaps we put forward whatever obedience we have rendered to the law as the whole of our obedience, which would be a lie. And so to guard against sin and to receive God's law as a spiritual light to guide us in a world of darkness, we need God's law. And he has provided that law. We must therefore confess that it is relevant to us. When we confess that it is relevant, we are saying that it applies to every aspect of our life, our thoughts and motives included. Viewing it as relevant, we not only confess that we are subject to it, but that we have transgressed. We recognize that the punishments that the law prescribes should fall on us. We need Christ's righteousness to deliver us from God's wrath. And that leads to another point about the relevance of God's law for us today. Not only is the law of God relevant because it points us to how God's children should live in gratitude for salvation, but it also is relevant because it reminds us of our sinfulness, of our inability to keep God's law in and of ourselves, and therefore of our need for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For only he kept the law perfectly. Only he kept the law of love so that he died the death of the cross. And only he, having died the death of the cross to satisfy God's justice, now rose from the dead, 
lives in us and gives us his life and his strength, enabling us to keep the law anew. So we can keep the law, not perfectly on this side of the grave, but with a true beginning as we look to Jesus Christ and confess that he lives in us. But what man or what woman will confess that Christ lives in me and confess that his righteousness is the full righteousness that I need unless we are confronted with the law that requires us to love? and unless we acknowledge our inability in ourselves to keep that law. Because the law is relevant, we need to learn it. We need to learn it so that we can learn more about God who reveals himself in the law. We need to learn it so that we understand more how we are to love God and our neighbor. We need to learn it so that we can more readily show true gratitude to God for all he has done for us in Christ, in saving us from certain death on account of our sins, and in renewing us to keep the law. We need to learn the law and keep it, the more consistently and genuinely to show that we are God's children and citizens of his kingdom. And so in the coming weeks, because we need to learn the law, we will go to school. We will sit at the feet of the Master, Jesus Christ himself. And here's an amazing truth. This Master can drive the subject matter home. Even the most energetic teacher who understands how to convey a subject to children in a classroom realizes that he or she cannot make the children understand or make them see that the lesson is relevant. But Jesus Christ can. By his Spirit, he will not only inform our minds and understanding, but will drive the lesson home and show us its relevance. He will cause us to live to God's glory and to love our neighbor genuinely. For our Master, our Teacher, is not only our greatest example, he is also the living Savior from sin who empowers his students to learn and apply the instruction to our lives. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank thee for Jesus Christ, the perfect law giver and the perfect law keeper. And we pray that we see today and in weeks ahead that thy law expressed in the Ten Commandments are still relevant for us. They still regulate our conduct and give us grace to keep them. And where we recognize we haven't to acknowledge that we are sinners unworthy of thy salvation. Forgive our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. And give us to live as he lived more and more until one day in heaven we can obey that law perfectly. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. 
If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.